Welcome again to 3CR Raising Our Voices. We are happy to be bringing you another episode from Voice at the Table, otherwise known as VAT, about culture. We're gathering together today in this special place to continue our learning journey together. We acknowledge the Woiwurrung and Bunurung people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the land and waters of the place where we're recording this and that sovereignty has not been ceded. We acknowledge and pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging and we also pay respect to any First Peoples who are listening. We remember the self-advocates who work hard, really hard over the years for the right for themselves and for others with a disability to live in the community and to achieve equality and to respect human rights for all. Nothing about us without us. So what does culture mean? Well, in our top tips, it relates to be prepared. And that's where you make sure that you're ready for the meeting before the meeting. But it's also bigger. It encompasses the whole organisation and all the self-advocates because I think it's important for everyone to be prepared regardless of what sort of meeting it is. I'd just like to acknowledge at this stage that this episode is recorded via uh, Zoom and this is due to the COVID-19 restrictions that are in place in Victoria. Today I'll be talking with two of our self-advocates and being Peter Ferguson and Heather Smith and I'll just I'll get them to introduce themselves properly and we'll start with uh, Peter. Well I am Peter Ferguson, past president of Brain Injury Matters. I am a passionate self-advocate where I know that all people should be treated equally and respect that includes disabled people. Hello, my name is Heather Smith and I'm a committee member and appeal worker with Reinforce and I'm also a member of Positive Powerful Parents and I'm actually on a few reference groups as well with um, the um, Victorian Legal Aid and the Dental Hospital. And I'm also a Voice at the Table graduate. So we'll jump straight in now. And so what does everyone in a meeting need to believe? Now, that sounds a little strange to ask that but it is rather important and and it revolves around the things of you know do all people in the meeting need to be valued to be seen and most importantly to be heard i don't think there should be any need for education because it all should be there but i am not naive and i know it has to be talked about. Heather, how do you feel about that? Yes, I think everyone should be that value, be seen and heard 
whether they have a disability or not. Very true, very true. I'm just wondering, you know, would you have a, a story from your experiences, you know, yes. highlighting how this happened? I used to go to these meetings at VCOS and they were always including me as a member of their reference group. I felt that they were really taking me seriously. And even on the first day, they did a session with boys at the table before they actually started the reference group. So um, everyone got to meet each other. And I really think that that's a good thing. It is indeed. It is indeed. Having that initial contact and working out who is who is very good and really highlights parts of being prepared. And I believe you have a, a, a bad story as well, an example of when these things did not happen. Yes, I did I um, one time I couldn't join a meeting when I was supposed to because it was it was on a program called Microsoft Teams and um, when I used it once before, it was very, um, when everyone spoke, it was very blurry and I just could not understand what everyone was saying. I did ask them about it and I did mention to them about Zoom, but they actually told me that they can't use Zoom because of their private policy and that I needed to get my computer updated. But I couldn't do that. It's a, a very good example of not doing the right thing and not having an inclusive culture yeah. happening within that organisation. Do we need to discuss how... If everyone in the meeting wants it to be a place where everyone is equal, I mean, do we have to actually spell that out for people? Unfortunately, yes. You know, I think so. Hmm. I had some but positive and negative experiences at meetings. I know that uh, one great example that I've heard about, I unfortunately haven't. I wasn't part of it, was uh, the VCOS, the Victorian Council of yeah. Social Services. It, it yeah. was a great meeting because the facilitator really respected everyone. Everyone had their day in the sun. She listened to everybody and everyone in the meeting 
was great. It was a just a pleasant going to that meeting. I always look forward to it. They had done the work before the meeting to make sure it was good. So what what would this mean to you, Heather, that when everyone is treated as an equal? Well, whether people are attending the meeting have a disability or not, everybody should always be respected and they should always be listened to no matter what they need to say and just to make sure there is enough space for everyone to have their say. You're listening to 3CR, Raising Our Voices. This month, we're joined again by the crew from VAT, Voice at the Table. Organisations don't always run perfect, inclusive meetings. And I think uh, you might have a, an example or two there. Uh-huh. I got two examples. And one, I was obviously the token person with the ABI. We were interviewing people working with people with an API. I was introduced as having an API and nothing else. That was my role. My opinions were basically ignored except what the context they wanted them. People all came together after the meeting and I was left on the altar. It was a really depressing experience. And uh, other example, I went to a meeting run by a disability advisory committee group. They were supposed to be up with inclusivity. They treated me like a money grabber. So I that we needed to be paid. They were paying indirectly all the other people who were at the meeting. They were being paid by their organisation to be there. We weren't paid. We were not treated as equal. So what, what would this mean to you, Heather, that when everyone is treated as an equal? Well, whether people are attending the meeting have a disability or not, everybody should always be respected and they should always be listened to no matter what they need to say and just to make sure there is enough space for everyone to have their say. So having a say is very important and having it, having people listen to you is equally as important. There's no point in just saying what you have to say as as the expert with, as a self-advocate with lived experience. It is also important that the people that you're saying it to actually listen to it. And I think you had some good examples of how that could be Done. Yeah. Like one example 
They should listen to everybody's lived experiences and not wave people off and say and say that it's not appropriate to talk about that because I've actually had that happen to me too many times in my life. So when going to a meeting, it is important that everyone um, feels safe within that meeting as well. And that can be extended out to their personal belongings as well, couldn't it, Anna? Yeah, um, when going to a meeting, it is important that everybody's personal things are safe and everybody's pers personal body is safe. Just because of um, my own personal experience that I had in my in the past. When meetings are inclusive, they need to be run in a way that includes everyone. Now, how do you th think that would happen? How how would an organisation or a committee or a reference group learn how to include everyone? Um, probably. Um, they would need to do voice at the table training and they definitely should have um, disability awareness training around all kinds of disabilities, yeah. including intellectual disability. I think especially around intellectual and cognitive mm. disabilities because they are the least visible of all the disabilities. It's really hard to tell if someone has something wrong with their brain because you can't see inside their brain. <laughs> it brings us round to our next point, which is a, it's a, a, I think it's, it should be happening everywhere. And as Peter said earlier, it should be ingrained. It should be the, the normal not the abnormal, not the out of the, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that mm. meetings and, and, and organisations have, you know, practices which include equality, respect, listening, shared learning, good communication and action. Now, you know, why, why do you think organisations need these things? Well, you know, like if we're talking about equality, what does that basically mean? I take my promise the equality, respect, listening, learning, good communication. They are attributes that should automatically be part of an organisation culture. But all too often it's not. So you have to spell out what equality is separate means. What do you think it means, Heather? Um, I think it means um, using good eye contact and um, responding, responding to what I have to say 
and also um, just know just knowing that they're listening to me by not mucking around on their phone or doing other things that might sidetrack them. And, and if there are written things within a meeting, how, how do, what form should they take? I mean, as we know, every meeting has lots and lots of papers, but if they're going to bring a paper to a meeting, a document to a meeting, what do you think? Is that a good thing or not? Um, I think if they're going to have a lot of written stuff, it needs to be in easy English or plain English and yeah. not, not in jargon. Yeah, definitely not in jargon. And we've all been to meetings like that where the everyone else is a part of the organisation or, um, or council or whatever it may be, and they tend to throw around words that they use every day within the workplace, but no one else does outside of the workplace. So easy or plain English is definitely the way to go. Just wondering, Heather, how often have you received easy English when you haven't asked for it? Um, with most of the groups, um, like for example, VCOS will have a normal version and an easy English version. But with some meetings, I have asked for it, but they haven't they haven't done it yet. So I will have a support worker with me, and they have to explain what the document means, or in a way that I understand. You were telling me before that. Um, sometimes you get your support worker to go through an agenda and other documents, and, yeah. and even sometimes that you and your support worker will go to the venue of the meeting um, a couple of days beforehand. Yeah, they, they will show. They will help me actually look on Google Maps. And they will um, do a um, trial run of where for where where to go, and then they um, they will um, go through the agenda and all the papers to make sure I understand everything, and then um, if there's any questions for me that I wanted to, want to ask, they will write down the questions for me. And sometimes they will, um, well, most times, they will write down in dot points and give, give me a summary of what has been said in the meeting. What does respect mean to you? Peter? 
What we speak involves such the person I'm talking to really listening to me, active listening, <coughs> and asking me questions if they don't understand what the final point, if they don't understand what I'm saying because they just don't understand my speech, then they shall ask me to repeat it in other words just to make sure they know. And it's so reassuring to have one, a person obviously listening and asking for um. It's not insulting if someone asked me to explain. It shows to me they're really listening. And no, they don't understand. So I should put it a different way. Good communication. I, I really liked what you were saying there around communication and understanding. And that that's very much the essence of, of these top tips around being able to understand and having tolerance and being able to ask, I didn't quite understand, could you explain that in other words? And I think that's a great way to highlight good communication. A lot of people, I think, are frightened to ask what other way to understand something. They are a bit reticent to ask for other way of explaining a point that they worry about possibly upsetting or causing, <laughs> I mean, some. Oh, I'm just saying that I, I put one and I know that other people with a communication problem don't have any hassle in being asked to repeat themselves or explain in other ways. Well, it's been a great chat with Heather and Peter regarding being prepared. There's so much more to chat about, so we'll do that in the next episode. So we'll finish up here for now, and we'll be back soon with a, a continuation of the Being Prepared chat. Nothing about us about us. Today we're going to have a chat about Terry Neal. How are you going, sir? I'm going well, thanks, Warren. Now... Terry's a very interesting fella. Um, I watched that wonderful video, uh, Terry's Tale. The first time I came across Terry was in the 90s. He was at a conference that Reinforced had run in Ross House. And I, that's the first time I saw him. And he started telling this story that just chilled me to the bones. So the first part was that Terry's mother gave him up as a baby. Um, and he ended up in Tally Ho Boys' Home. 
And from there, he went to Sandhurst, which was another institution, I think mainly for men, well, 100% I think for men, with an intellectual disability. Then he went to Arradale, which is a horrendous, big, white, just what you'd imagine, institution on the top of a hill outside of town um, near Ararat. He knew he shouldn't be there. So he was full of anger with the way he would, was treated and he wouldn't back down. So I think he hit some one of the staff, but then they beat him, sedated him, and that's when he ended up in the notorious J Ward in Aradale, which was the prison for people with um, aggression. Look, I think he was only 16 or 17 when he ended up there. He was sexually abused there. Then he went back to Aradale and his mum came and took him out. Then she found him what they called a ward. He was made, was made a ward of some guy where he was quite happy living there. He was sharing a house with him. And then he died and the police came. And this is the one that um, does make me quite emotional. And he, the police woman was there and he said to her, you're not taking me back to the institution, are you? And he, she went, no, 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 we're going to find you somewhere to live. And then as they were driving, he re- and they turned into Lurundal, which was a psychiatric institution out near Bandura. And he was telling me he just freaked out, tried to open the door and jump out. And so he ended up there and then eventually ended up at Sunbury. So what you said, Warren, is completely true. He was just someone who was trapped in a system that he couldn't get out of and that he shouldn't have been in. But he was passionate passionate advocate for rights, absolutely passionate. He went on to be a founding member of two really radical groups, one for people for equality, non-institutionalisation, Penny, and the other one's Cat Pick. Now, I've got to try and remember that. I've got that one written down, actually. You've got that one written down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coalition Against Forced Treatment and Institutionalised Violence. So he's very active. He was also yep. a member of Reinforce. Yep. When did they start? Just sort of. Nineteen eighty-one. Eighty-one. So. So they're the, they were the first self-advocacy group in Australia. His story is just remarkable. In the video, uh, Terry talked about the medical model of care. It basically failed him, and just yep. locked him away. Seems more like an incarceration than any sort of medical model of treatment. So in many ways, activism takes many forms. And yes. one of them be, but even though he was in his mid-20s when he got out, it impacted on the rest of his life in many ways of poverty and, and you know. When I opened it up and, and, and I stopped and I looked and the, uh, the linen room door was already open and there was pass keys still, still in the, hanging out from the door. And I stopped and I looked. I thought, oh, what an opportunity. I thought, here's a go. Terry talks about his escape yep. from that from that situation where he, one of the jobs he was doing was to uh, collect the dirty linen every day, I believe, and yep. take it round to the linen room. So I gently put the quilts I had in my hand there down on the bed, which was just right near the door, and I, I had to walk down 
two or three steps to the veranda. And then when I got to the door, I just slammed the, the linen room door sh shut and I quickly locked it and double locked it over. And Did you lock them in? Yeah, I locked him in. I thought every time I've escaped from here, I've always gone to Melbourne, down to the city. And I said every time I've been damn caught, either by the cops you know, or, the, or, or the screws, you know, the sight nurses. I thought, no, not this time. I'm going the other way. He never gave in. He was always trying to escape or get out and, and to keep their key, which was the classic institution key. Like he would show it to people as he was telling them the stories. Yeah, it's just such a symbol of the fight that he had in him. You can find out more, voiceatthetable.com.au. Welcome to Jut and Joke. <laughs> if King Kong went to Hong Kong to play ping pong and think and have a sing along and and died, what would I put on his coffin? A lid. You've been listening to 3CR, Raising Our Voices, 8.55am. This month, we've heard from Voice at the Table, VAT, about culture. Thanks so much to Warren, Peter and Heather and Justin. Next up, Radio Capucha. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.